Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Avis Boone. So glad to have you join me here on That's How We Roll, the podcast where we go behind the curtain up on stage or out in the world and talk with professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, organization leaders, creatives, and artists about their business, their creativity, their goals, and about their lives. And hey, whatever else we want to talk about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thank you so much for tuning in to That's How We Roll. And joining me today is actress, playwright, producer, and filmmaker, Uda Joanna Sanchez. As a playwright, she co-wrote the comedy The Jedi Papi Chulo and The Power Panza, which was first seen at the Latea Theater and the New Yorican Poets Cafe, as well as Sacred Spaces. Most recently, she has started writing the one-act play anthology series, On the Block, of which its first installment, Bodega Cat, was shown at the Pro-Black Theater Festival in February of 2021. As a filmmaker, she produced, wrote, and directed the film Finding Home, which is a tribute to victims of child abuse. This was the freshman project under her own production company, Cuentos de Ada, with the purpose of creating universally relevant film and theater productions. Cuentos de Ada is a play on words meaning fairy tale in Spanish. The literal translation tells of Ada. Ada is Yuda's mother whose legacy lives on through the work of this company. Her second short film, Somnio, is currently in post-production. Her third film, As the Ashes Settle, The Fire Stirs, began production in March 2021. It is my pleasure to welcome Uda, and thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for you to be here. How have you been? I am super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, for inviting me. I've been really good. <laughs> I've, been, I've been really, really good. You know, this year has been really insane and crazy for everyone. A lot of people have gotten really sick, obviously. and But I, I can say that I'm just so grateful that my family is okay. We're all healthy and safe and and that's uh, the most important thing, you know. It really is. Nothing nothing else really matters. It really doesn't. It really, it really, really doesn't. But, you know, then the cherry on top has been the fact that this season has been a season of creation for me. And I just feel so grateful that in this time, I've, I've had time of meditation and, and really introspection and to realize and take stock of what's really important to me as a person and as an artist and to start to write and put out work that that matters to me. Uh, things that I maybe before this year, before before 2020, uh, before George Floyd, before everything that happened afterwards, maybe I was afraid to speak on certain things. And now I'm in a place where I don't feel that fear anymore. I just, I'm showing up and I'm showing up with the fullness of, of, of how I feel and where I'm at. And good, bad, or ugly, this is what it is. And and that's what I'm putting into my work. And I feel incredibly proud of, of the work that, uh, that I'm doing and the, the people that I've been surrounded by and that we've been, the people that I've been working with. Well, you have been super, super busy. So, yes. 
you have so many titles and you have so much work. So you were definitely not bored during this this uh, self-imposed like hiatus that the world has been on for the past year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely miss I miss the before, <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like this was uh, something that needed to happen. In a sense, not not in the sense of you know the loss of life, because that's always senseless, and especially things that you know could have been prevented, as we all know. So much of the loss of life that's happened, especially in the United States, but everywhere, it could have been prevented by by faster action and you know uh, efficient leadership. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But uh, you know that aside, I, I do miss the socialization and the you know, meeting with friends and the brunches and the, but unfortunately that's been taken away. And what we have, what we're left with is like you said, with what's really important, which is having the opportunity to both spend time with my family and spend time in introspection, spend time doing inner work, spend time doing just refocusing, like rebalancing my life and what's important to me. And, and in that sense, I feel like it's been a gift. Right. Sometimes we, yeah, we do need that refocus and that reigniting of something in us to continue to to create work and be passionate about things and and about life. That's what it's all about. You work in every area. Not every area. Yeah. Well, you work in a lot of areas here. So, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when when you were a little girl? Oh my God! When I was a little girl. Oh, he's going to kill me for telling you this. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a marine biologist. My dad was like, that's for white people. (laughs) 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 And and so that dream died really fast. (laughs) But at least now you can write yourself as a marine biologist and make a a movie. I need to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I need to do that. I need to do that. He's going to kill me for saying that, but it's the truth. Yeah, but when I was little, I think what I really wanted to be more than anything, I wanted to be a singer. I'm all right. I could I could hold a tune, but I'm not like, I'm not a singer singer, but I but I could hold a tune. Um, but that was that was my dream for a very, very long time. And then I just sort of stumbled into acting. Uh, I literally stumbled into acting. And that's what you started doing first before you started writing and making movies. You started acting first. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I started, well, when I say I stumbled into acting, I I was with my sister. This was in high school. We had just moved back to the U.S. from Puerto Rico, or back to New York, I should say, from Puerto Rico. And and my sister wanted to be an actress. She was like, so ever since I can remember, my sister wanted to be an actress. And, um, and, she, and she's actually a really fantastic actress. And she was looking for an after-school program in our high school. We're only two years apart, so she was a senior, I was a sophomore, and we literally stumbled into this classroom uh, where they were holding these these auditions, I think, for the after-school program, and I just kind of tagged along with her, and it wasn't anything that I wanted to do, but honestly, I can say that one of the first real transformations that I experienced as a person happened when I first got on stage. I used to be a really shy kid to the point where I didn't really talk to people. I would blush when I had to speak out loud. It was really debilitating. And then I started acting and it just changed me. So yeah, I started acting before I did anything else. And then how did the writing and producing come into play? So so I started acting 
And after my sister graduated high school, she went off to college, and um, I I kept acting. I, I stayed in the, in the after-school program. The following year, when we came back to school, there was a program. The after-school theater program had been replaced by an organization that had come into our high school called Faces. It was a part of the Maimonides Hospital. It sounds odd, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn had a, <laughs> this sounds really bizarre, Maimonides Hospital had a psychiatric, uh, psychiatric psychology department, and that psychology department had a theater program for, for teens. And so I became a part of that, the Maimonides uh, theater group. But I was, at, I was a part of that for like three, four years. I, I interned with them. I traveled with them. It was, my, it was my first, you know, real performances that I got to do. But basically, we would have these uh, quote-unquote rehearsals where we would talk about life issues and then we would write sketches about it. And then those sketches became scripts and those scripts were rehearsed and then we went off and did shows in different high schools and different places. It was actually pretty cool. So that was your first, so that's when you started say, hey, I can write stuff. I started writing when I was a kid, but, um, but, but this was the first time that I actually performed before an audience that wasn't my family. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the things that I wrote. But I started writing when I was about 10 or 11. And we, me and my sister would write sketches and put on backyard talent shows and, and charge our neighbors to come see our shows. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> yeah, we were hustling from a very young age. <laughs> we, would, we would charge everyone a dollar uh, to come see our show. And, and we did that here. We did that in Puerto Rico. And, and so that's when I started writing, you know, and it was all like, it was like all like an emulation of the telenovelas that I saw on television that my mom watched. So like all of our scenes were like, they had like gypsies and stepmothers and it was all drama. And it was, it was that, that stuff is really funny because the more I want to get away from it, the more it like creeps into my writing sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I know what this is. And it's, like, <laughs> it's just there. It's just like, oh, this just part of the upbringing. I'm sorry. So what about the directing? You were writing since you were a kid, and so now you have the yeah. acting and the writing. How did you know that I want to direct? I, I fell into directing. Again, same thing. So I started writing when I was a child, and part of it was thanks to my cousin's wife, uh, Nancy Navarez, who actually just passed away last month, about a month and a half ago. She just passed away. She, she was a wonderful playwright. She encouraged my sister and I, ever since we were little, to write and create shows and that's where that came from and then the directing started with a friend of mine she and I went to high school together and we were actually part of the faces group together we decided to make a movie together and at the time she had this this kind of interesting uh agent and so he had quote-unquote hired a VP to shoot uh, the film that we wrote and at that point we shot that movie and it was the, one of the biggest heartbreaks that we'd experienced because we were both new to like actual production and, and filmmaking. Um, we, we had both been actresses, but we had never done that side of it. That DP basically made away with our footage. Then when he finally did give us our footage, he only gave us chunks of the footage. Like he didn't give us our full footage. And the whole situation was very kind of really messed up. But it led to positive things because what, what it led me to do was to go to film school. And so I went to film school, and I, that's where I started directing stuff. As far as, like, theater, I had directed theater when I was an undergrad before I went to when I, before I went back for film school. 
Um, I had directed a few shows, including the Vagina Monologues and some other stuff. And But I wasn't, like, really interested in directing until I started doing film. And then that's when I started to understand that I could I could translate my vision and make other people see and feel what I was seeing and feeling and thinking through film. Okay. Yes, there's nothing like creating your own your own work. I just remember you, I don't even know how this came about or how I even got this job, but years ago, I remember doing a stage reading yeah. that you selected me for. Yes, that was um that was actually that was such a long time ago. It was it just was in 2009 and that was before I started going to film school. So before that, I had written the screenplay and this is one of those things where you know, as the years have gone by, it's become really, really clear to me that I'm on the path that God wants me to be on. Does that mean that I'm a perfect Christian? No, it does not mean that. Does that mean that I walk on clouds? No. But it definitely does mean that my father is looking out for me, and I know that he's directing me. He's leading me. And with that particular screenplay, the reason I say that is because I had not written a screenplay before that time. And one day I woke up and I just had this whole entire idea. And that screenplay that you're referring to, the the uh, stage reading, actually became a play afterward, and that was Sacred Spaces. So I had a, I was casting that stage reading. I think I put it up on Actors Access or something like that. And you submitted for it, and then we did it. And uh, that was in 2009. Wow. So, and that's how that's how that happened. So that was one of those things where it was like I don't know. It was just clear to me. At least it is now in retrospect. Maybe at the moment it wasn't that clear. But in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, this definitely was God leading me into writing and directing film. Well, I never I never forgot you from that. So my my submitting for that, it was a long time ago. I never forgot it. And every I just remember you. I, don't, I can't remember if your sister was in that or not, but I just. Re- yep. OK, it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So sometimes, you know, I always believe that people come into your life for a particular reason, just for a season, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they sow their their crops, and then they go to something else. So yeah, I never forgot that. And then I guess I have known you all this, you know, all this time. I didn't even realize. Yeah. And then we ran into each other on the on the set of I don't know if you remember this. This was like two two years two summers ago. We ran into each other on the set of Secession. Ah, yes, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's right. I was in Australia. Yeah, in the courtroom. Yeah. yeah. And so that was the second time yeah. after all that, all those years that we actually saw each other. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me. That was me. I was like, I extra work is, I have a love-hate relationship with extra work because the love of it is that, you know, you get to be on set. And you get to see people doing the craft and you get to see the directors direct and how the crew moves. And all of it is very exciting to me because I love the behind the scenes stuff. But then the hate part obviously comes in the fact that you're an extra. <laughs> There's so much to learn yeah. no matter no matter okay. what. And you are the entire package of whatever it is. And that's good for you because then that way, you know, you know what to do and how to treat people when they come onto your set. Oh, absolutely. 
You're going to have a set. You're going to have all that. I know it because your path has been clear from the beginning, from the time that I did Sacred Spaces, that that reading. Your path has been clear. I do not believe that you have diverged from that path. With what I read in your introduction, you, you have not slowed down. There's only going to be more greatness ahead. So I want to talk about Bodega Cat. Yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, okay, I want to talk about all your, the other latest projects too, but Bodega Cat. So you had to do this whole thing on Zoom, over Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had this film festival. So now you have the, the film festival experience of submitting this, this work. And this was the first time, I'm, I'm assuming this was the first time that you had done something like this over Zoom. Um. Well, it was the first time that I had, so what you're referring to as a film festival, that's something that I'm trying out now because this is a virtual theater production. So I I uploaded it to one of the sites to try to submit it for like um, experimental uh, film festivals to see if they want to look at it. I don't know. Maybe they'd be interested in it. So that was definitely that I'm trying out. But as far as like the performance itself, the performance itself was a live performance via Zoom, and it was a live theater performance. So the point was not to have a lot of more, like I couldn't pre-record it and then screen it on Zoom. It had to be happening live. And that, to be honest with you, was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> because one thing is to have, you know, a live theater performance where you have the, the audience in the same room. There's a certain you know, relationship dynamics that happens between the actor and the audience. There is a relationship, there's an agreement, right? When the audience comes into the the theater, the lights go down, they agree to suspend their disbelief and turn off their phones and not talk and not interrupt the performance. And all of those things are understood that that's the way that theater works. Otherwise, it doesn't work. But with Zoom, Zoom is terrifying for live performances because you never know who's going to turn on their mic, who's going to have a glitch, who's going to turn on their camera. And it's completely, it's like, it's, it's, it's akin to someone walking on stage in the middle of your monologue. And so we actually had an incident during our performance where that, that happened. And I was just like, oh man, I knew this was going to happen. But it is what it is, you know. That was the first time that I ever did a live virtual performance of that nature. I had done live performances for class. So during between March of last year and December of last year, I was finishing up the Atlantic acting school, uh, a full-time conservatory um, online. So I had started in person and then we finished it online. So I did all of my performances online. Uh, I did all of my checkoff and my Shakespeare and my everything via virtual performance online. And so I had some experience with how to stage everything and how to do it. But as far as having an audience, where it's like, I don't even know. At one point, I think one of the performances, we had over 100 people. And, and the, you know, lo and behold, somebody turned on their camera. <laughs> <laughs> and it just is what it is. I mean, you just roll with the punches. You just have to. But, um, but it was the first time I ever did that. And, and it was really, really stressful. I've attended a lot of Zoom performances. You know, this is a this is a new thing. Mm-hmm. People 
didn't know what was going to happen. And mm-hmm. but we we dealt with it and we're dealing with it. The problem is, too, you know, your Internet could go down. I have a horrible Internet connection. And depending on the time of day, it's worse. So. Yeah. So you do run into those difficulties with Zoom performances. But, yep, the camera can come on too soon you, you or you miss your cue. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of that, too. I mean, and it was it was minimal, but we definitely had a moment where, I don't know, he's, he's probably going to kill me for saying this, but one of our actors, Jake, um, at one point, <laughs> in the middle of one of the transitions on one of the shows, I think he dropped the, like, we were eating, like, there was, like, pasta. It, it, it was part of the scene. There were two plates of pasta. And at one point, in one of the transitions, he, I think he dropped the entire plate of pasta. And... <laughs> it was a lot, but it definitely, but it definitely gave him like when he came, he came on, uh, onto the the scene, the the next scene that he was performing in, you know, he definitely had a certain um, urgency <laughs> to the scene, which uh, I think added to it. To be honest, I don't know, I like this. Yeah, sometimes the mistakes make it more interesting and 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 gives you, it allows you to even do more or give a better performance because of that. It lights a fire. It just lights a fire. It makes it real. And speaking of fire, as the ashes settle, the fire stirs. Oh, yeah. That started shooting in March. You know, mm-hmm. with the big budget productions, with all the COVID protocols in place, it's a little easier for the Netflix and the Hulu, the Amazon, all those. How did a small production company like yours, how did you manage to, to make sure that everyone was safe on set? Okay, so one of the things that helped us tremendously is the fact that we were tag sickness boring. And so we we're like, I think, ultra low budget or something like that. <laughs> That's what we were. We were we were got no money production. And <laughs> so, but, but it helped us. It helped us because they sent us like this document with all of these protocols. And, and essentially it helped us to not, I mean, we had already had an idea of of how we were going to do it, you know, having a small crew, making sure that we had double masks and shields and and all of that, but also having this list from SAG after actually really helped us because it helped us to communicate, you know, what the needs were to the rest of the crew and the cast so that it was, you know, it, it legitimized it to a certain extent because you know, and, and, and we didn't have a problem with it because everyone that we had on our casting crew was very cooperative. In addition, some people had already had COVID and a few of us had already started the vaccination process. So we were, yeah, we were in a good place in terms of that. But as far as like the protocol, it was like, you know, constant Purell, double mask, shield. But yeah, um, the way that I chose to shoot it, no actor... No two actors were on screen together at the same time facing the camera. So it was it was a lot of over-the-shoulder, a lot of tracking, just so that no two actors had their mask off at the same time. I did a lot of exteriors. I only went interior when absolutely necessary. And I just, just you know, we made it a point to, to just put safety first. Even, even with lunch, the way that lunch was, was, was done, you know, we packed separate lunches for everyone. And the times that we did have to eat on set, we we were all kind of outdoors. So it was all it was all very like maybe a maybe hyper careful, but we were 
really concerned about people getting sick and we didn't want that to happen on, on our watch. So, And even worse than being sick, this is something that people were dying from. And so you did want to be as safe as possible. There, there's no such thing as being overprotective or overcautious in, in the middle of, of this. And actually, some of the some of the protocols and some of the actions that production companies that they took on this past year and now, I think it's like a safer thing going forward. I mean, I really think that they might keep things kind of the way that they are, except for the excessive testing. I felt this whole time that being on a set was like the safest place because you knew that people were were being tested on a regular basis. And still, there were cases where people tested negative for two days in a row, but on the third day, they tested positive. There were a lot of false negatives and false positives. But as long as we stayed hyper vigilant about the distance and about wearing masks, we would we really wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, and that's, that that's that's how we we dealt with it, you know, and it was it was great. I mean, it's a four person story, so it, it really wasn't that difficult. It sounded like we had a huge ensemble, and we didn't have any extras. We didn't have anything like that. We just we were just as careful as possible. One one thing that I was really adamant about was just shooting it also in as as little amount of time as possible because the longer you extend or shoot the more people work and then they go home and do whatever they're going to do go out go to a bar go whatever you know and then they come on set a day or two later you don't really know what you what you're getting you know and so that was one thing that we that we pushed for too was to just shoot it over the weekend we shot it in two days actually which was insane and then we also required negative covid tests from everyone how did you go about the testing? Because again, I'm going back to, you, you know, you're not a big budget uh, production company that has a, the testing on site. So they just had to go to Walgreens or wherever and, and come back with it. Yes, they just, yeah, they just went to, I, I mean, I went to, I think I went to NYU and I got it. So how did you keep motivated? You were, first of all, you were extremely busy. So there was no lack of motivation on your part. But just in case you did have a moment where you didn't have something to do, how did you keep yourself motivated during the pandemic? Well, when everything first started uh, sh- uh, shutting down, which was like in, was it, was it April? March. March. Was that when everything shut, when we had the lockdown? Yeah, it was March, March 12th or 13th. That's when they had a shelter in place order. Right. Okay. Good. So, I, 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 it's a blur for me right now. Yeah, I know. But, right. Um, when we were doing the uh, the shelter in place, I was still doing classes uh, online with Atlantic, and I just remember that all of a sudden I got really depressed, like really, really depressed, because I live in an avenue and it was a constant, nonstop sirens, ambulance, like nonstop. It was it was horrible. And it got to the point where it became kind of like a physiological response to the like like emotional, but also like like physical uh, response to the to the to the, to the constant sirens, and then the fear of not knowing what we were dealing with, and you know, fearing for my family, fearing for myself, fearing for my friends, fearing for the world in general. I, I got really depressed, and it, and I guess this is part of being a part of a very rigorous program, conservatory where I felt like I couldn't stop, but like, I just gotta, I have to keep going. I'm not going to quit. I'm not a quitter. So 
I just remember rehearsing for my scenes and kind of like, I had some conversations with some of my scene partners at one point where I was like, this feels so wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, we're make-believing and taking all of this so seriously and people are like dropping dead like left and right. So I was really demotivated at one point. Like I felt really depressed. But I didn't, I didn't let it show, uh, not much anyway. My team partner saw it because I cried a lot. But, uh, but as far as stopping the work, right, we were talking about Nehemiah earlier. And I, and I felt like I needed to, to keep to continue the work. I felt like I needed to keep, like, keep building that wall, you know, no matter what. Yeah, you had something else to focus on pretty much, yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I, felt, I, felt I started to resent it at one point. And then I saw the light. I started to kind of like buckle down to record, because I, I pre-recorded my presentation. Some people didn't, but I did. Um, and I made it kind of like a short film. But, but when I started to really get into that, that's when I saw the light and I was just like, nah, I'm actually really lucky. I'm really blessed to be safe, to be home. And I get to continue to do my work. And it wasn't until after after the George Floyd incident where it literally felt like the world, the world was upside down. That's when that's when I really started to see the light. Where I was like, "Nah, this is more than just art, and what we're doing has to mean something. All of this work and all of this training has to be for something, and our work has to mean something." That's the state that I'm in right now. I want to do work that that has significance and that means something, and and I and and in some way I want to change my corner of the world in some way. Right is my assignment in life that I was still training and that I still had the opportunity to do so and that that we hadn't halted and that despite all of this, you know, the horrors and the things that are happening in the world, I had the gift of of continuing to train and, and to, to, to better myself as an artist and, and what a privilege. And and I and I don't get to say that a lot because I'm a black Puerto Rican woman <laughs> from East New York, Brooklyn. So I'm like, when do I get to say that I'm privileged? But at one point, yeah, I started to feel like incredibly, incredibly blessed and and privileged to be able to continue to do my work in the midst of this madness. With everything that you're doing, what advice can you give to someone looking for a career as a playwright, as an actor or producer or filmmaker? What advice would you give people? Well, know who you are as a person, because you can only create art from your point of reference, and the best art comes from the depths of of you, of your soul. And if you don't know who you are, and you don't know what you stand for, and you don't know what you believe in, it's going to be really hard to make art that touches people. Know who you are, accept who you are, and start from that point of reference. Write what you know. Before you write what you know, you have to know who you are. <laughs> One of the things that I was told when I first started was, well, you have to pick something. You can't do everything. And I was like, no, I can and I will do everything that I want to do. And now everybody's a multi-hyphenate. Yes. You know? <laughs> and it's like being the multi-hyphenate is like the thing. And lastly, I would say, and this is, this is really interesting, because when you when you were introducing me and you were you know, you called me by all of these different titles. There's a part of me that kind of like was like, ooh, who's she talking about? You know, <laughs> you have to contend with imposter syndrome and you have to make it a point to contend with it, to know it and call it out for what it is, identify it and then contend with it because it can destroy you. 
you're always learning, you're always growing, you have to accept that life is always evolving, that you're always evolving as an artist, and that you're never at a, at a standstill. Everything is always changing. And you're always going to meet someone that you look up to or someone who is better, more talented, more experienced, more successful, more fill-in-the-blank than you are. And the important thing is to know that you value as an artist, whether you are making it, quote-unquote, financially or what, or whether you are making it as far as being recognized in this industry or being lauded for your efforts. You have value just because you are a human being and you have you have something to offer. And there is no such thing as you being an imposter. If you step into the role, that makes you that makes you that. If you step into the role of a director, that makes you a director. If you pick up a pen or you know, you open up your word document and you start writing a play, that makes you a playwright. And I contend with with just like many artists, I contend with imposter syndrome all the time, especially in new circles. When I'm invited to be a part of a new circle of people that actually do the thing for a living, and I'm just like, ooh, I'm a fraud. I don't belong here, you know? And they're probably all feeling the same way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. It's that it's a lie, <laughs> you know? You named your theater company, well, the legacy of your mom led you to name your theater company. But how did your mom inspire you? Oh, my gosh. In every way, shape, and form, as, as a person, as an artist, as in everything, it's funny because I often joke with my dad, right? My dad my dad also has been a giant in my life. You know, my dad is an incredible inspiration and, and, and support and encouragement. And he's just been the best. I, I, you know, everybody says, I have the best dad. No, I really, I really do. <laughs> uh, but but the, the reason why I named my theater, my um, production company, sorry, after my mom is because I often joke with my dad about this, about, like, where do I get my artsy fartsiness from? My mom, she was such an incredible artistic soul. Everything that she did, she made it beautiful and she made it artistic. So if she was rearranging our living room, it looked like a magazine. If she was making dinner, it looked like a catered event. Everything that she did, just she just made it beautiful. She's the thing. She gave me my love for stories. You know, my mom was such a storyteller. To meet her was to love her and to and to speak with her was to know her whole life story. <laughs> and and many times I find myself questioning whether I'm even able to tell stories the way that she was. But she yeah, she had her whole repertoire of of stories. Well, obviously that rubbed off on you. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Like when I tell you about the telenovelas, is she had a, her favorite, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Save the Cat, and it's about film writing, screenplay writing. And in Save the Cat, I think he says there are seven or nine-ish, whoever is like a really big fan of this book is going to kill me for like messing this up. But, <laughs> but, but he says there's like seven or nine stories and every movie falls into one of these categories. And so the one that really popped out for me right now that I recall from the book is the Cinderella story. And so what's really funny is that if you look at all of the telenovelas in the Spanish language television, Univision and, Tele- and Telemundo and all of those, so if you look at most of the telenovelas back in the day, it was all about like the Cinderella story. And over the years, there were, I don't even know how many telenovelas was, were, were shown on these channels. But no matter how the surroundings changed, the plot changed, this, everything, it was basically a Cinderella story. And so what's funny was that my mom was just gra- always gravitated towards 
Cinderella story. And I would laugh because I, I could recognize it, but I'm like, I wonder if she realizes it's all the same story, you know? <laughs> and so when I write, a lot of what I write does have that underline. Even if I'm writing about an anti-hero, it does have that kind of like Cinderella underlining kind of feel to it. Well, that's okay. That's that's yeah. good. That's a good thing. That's a good feeling. And a lot of it does come from her too. Yeah. Her influence also, you know, in a lot of the stories that she enjoyed and watched and that I watched when I was growing up, that's where a lot of the magical realism comes from. So in the Jedi Papi Chula and the Power Bansha, there's magical realism. In As the Ashes Settle the Fire the Fire Spurs, there's magical realism. <laughs> Obviously, she inspired you tremendously. So have you read anything or listened to anything recently that has inspired you? And I also want to know what inspires you now? So I recently listened to the audio version of Jenna Fisher's The Actor's Life. And it's a, it's a, it's a guide for actors, for people that are starting out that don't know the business. And it's more about the business side of it than about the creative side of it. But it's actually really, it's actually really great. It's a really great resource. She gives a lot of information. She gives a lot of inspiration. It's really funny. And I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that I, I finished it last week and I started listening to it again this week. I just wanted to kind of like absorb anything that I had I had missed. But I really loved it. And I, I really think that anybody who's trying to be an actor should not just listen to this book or read this book, but just look for it for anything that it, that is, you know, that kind of resource for actors. Yeah, if the road is already paved, there's no need to be on a dirt path. The road is paved. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm finding a lot of inspiration from other actors, other artists. Okay, so before we leave, are there any words of wisdom you'd like to leave with us? Just accepting that not everything is meant for you. And just because you tried out for something doesn't necessarily mean that it's for you. It means that maybe it was for the experience, maybe it's for the connection that a connection that you're making, and maybe it's just for you to be able to express yourself artistically that day. And I'm talking specifically about auditions or whatever, you know? Well, that is a beautiful, very beautiful message for people to use no matter what they do in their life, no matter whether they're actors or bankers. It's a beautiful message and a good way to for people to look at themselves and their lives. Yeah. Enjoying the journey rather than like the destination. Hmm. It's such a pleasure having you here, Uda, as my guest. Thank you so much for being here. It's been great catching up with you. Just tell people where they can contact you on social media. Absolutely. So you can you can follow me on Instagram, and that's Uda Joanna Sanchez. U R A Y O A N A S A N C H E Z. And also UdaJoannaSanchez.com. So if anybody wants you to produce, direct, so when they want you, they'll be able to find you. I'm going to include everything in the show notes. Absolutely. That would be awesome. Thank you, Avis, for having me. This is awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, checking out the podcast. Thank you for inviting me into your space. And until next time, I hope you will continue to thrive, grow, and be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. Mm -hmm.